We turn this evening to the book of Nahum. Let's read. Oh, you're going, wait, wait, wait a minute. Not so fast. I have to find it. It's going to take you a little bit because uh, probably some of the least worn pages, if you have your own personal Bible with you, are found in this section. So uh, let me give you a little hint as far as where you're going to find it. It's Jonah, Micah, Nahum. So if you find Jonah, find Micah, which is a little bit longer book, you will then come to the book of Nahum. It's only three chapters long. Um, I'm only going to be reading chapter one this evening, but uh, I'll be referring to other verses in chapter two and three as we cover the book this evening. Under still our theme of those who appear on the pages of Scripture whose names begin with the letter N. So we'll do this for next week, next Lord's Day, the Lord willing as well, and then we'll be on to a, a new short series as well. Let's hear then, as you've had opportunity to look in the index, find where it is, find the page, and turn to it, to the book of Nahum, chapter 1. An oracle concerning Nineveh. The book of the vision of Nahum of Alkash. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. Do you plot against the Lord? He will make a, com he will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time. For they are like entangled thorns, like drunkards as they drink. They are consumed like stubble, fully dried. From you came one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are at full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke from off you and will burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given commandment about you. No more shall your name be perpetuated. In the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave, for you are vile. Behold... Upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, 
Keep your feasts, O Judah. Fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Thus far the word of the Lord. Let's again bow in prayer. How gracious and merciful, Heavenly Father. Father, it is again in passages such as these that we see not only the necessity, but the work of Christ. For, Father, we too were a rebellious people. Father, we too stood in the path of your indignation and wrath. None of us on our own could accept that wrath. But, Father, we see Christ and his bearing up of that wrath for us on the cross. And, Father, we just give you thanks for what you have done through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you will be with Pastor Bob as he brings your word this evening. Father, that you would give him great clarity. And, Father, that uh, it would be received by hearts that are willing to walk out of this door changed from when they came in. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Two points as we consider this man called Nahum this evening. First of all, the man. Uh, We know little about him. What we have about him is found basically in these three chapters, most of which, however, is his message. What we find out about the man, we really find out only in verse 1. So we want to look briefly at the man, but then we also want to look at the message that the man Nahum brought. A lot of this information, probably those of you with a study Bible can find it uh, before the book actually begins, but generally speaking, most folks don't take a whole lot of time to read that stuff, so uh, this is probably still, for many of you, uh, good, needed information as well. One interesting thing, his name. His name, Nahum, means comfort. Comfort. As I read the first chapter... You say, I don't find a whole lot of comfort in that. Well, it is there. We'll look at it in a few minutes. But if you're Nineveh, there is no comfort here. That is for sure. And when you get into chapter 2 and when you get into chapter 3, it gets worse for Nineveh. But his message is not to Nineveh. It's about Nineveh. The message is to God's people. And to God's people, the message of Nahum is a comfort. Secondly, his city. We are told that he is of Elkosh. Uh, we really don't know precisely where this is. There, there is a location that uh, has been narrowed down into the northeast part of Israel. Uh, which is an interesting location up there by the Sea of Galilee and so on, because this would have been one of the first areas that the Assyrians would have come in and invaded those ten northern tribes with. So perhaps some is out of some personal experience with the Assyrians that uh, he, he speaks If you look at a lot of commentaries, they'll tell you that the name Capernaum has to do with Nahum. And that the the city of Capernaum, which is also located up in that northeast area by the Sea of Galilee, 
uh, is known as the home of Nahum the prophet, which is rather interesting because we also know that Capernaum is one of the cities that Christ pronounced some of his greatest judgment upon because of their failure to repent as well. So uh, there might be some tie-in there too. Other than that, we know nothing about his family. We know nothing about his background. We know nothing about his occupation. Uh, none of that is told to us. It's as if Nahum appears out of nowhere, gives the message that the Lord would have him deliver, and then disappears basically from the scene as well. But what else do we learn from this first verse? An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Akash. Well, we also learn what his focus is. His focus is on Nineveh. It's an oracle concerning Nineveh. That's what the whole book is about. It's about Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh is huge. It is, to use of Pastor Bobism, ginormous place for cities of that day. You'll recall that the prophet Jonah was sent to this same city. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. But Jonah talked about it being three days' journey. And he wasn't even into the heart of it yet. We learned that this too is uh, a city, I, I believe, is, if I remember all of the statistics correctly, that the inner city, the core where the palaces, the government buildings, the, the temples were located was eight miles in circumference, the wall. The wall around Nineveh was a hundred feet tall. And it was wide enough on the top for three chariots to pass by one another. The Assyrian Empire had raided and pillaged nation after nation after nation. Nineveh was perhaps at one time the richest city in the world. In fact, some commentators will tell you, given the, the if you figure everything out and the balance of, of worth of gold and silver and so on, it might have well been the wealthiest city ever. This is who Nahum... <laughs> Kind of, kind of interesting. Here's this city with the big name. Here's the man that we barely know anything about. And here's this man who comes from some place called Alkash that we know nothing about his family who appears on the scene. I, I think you can read the book in, in less than 15 minutes. Pronounces this great judgment against this great city amazing who God uses in his plans and in his purposes as well. But the focus is on Nineveh. It's also interesting that we're told how he received this. It is the book of the vision of Nahum. It's interesting, it's not the word of the Lord came to Nahum, which is what we often read with some of the prophets, but here we are told specifically how he received this message. It was by vision. Prophets, 
of the Old Testament were sometimes referred to as seers, S-E-E-R, a person who sees. I'm not sure if that qualifies in Scrabble or not. You can try it. I don't know if it's in the Scrabble dictionary, but it's certainly a known term in the Scriptures that a prophet is one who sees, one who sees the future and is then told to speak about that future. And the truth of whether a man were a true or a false prophet was this. If that what he saw and tells you what he saw comes true, then he is a true prophet. If that which he prophesies about that which he has seen does not come true, then he is a false prophet. So Nahum is a seer. He is a prophet who receives a vision concerning Nineveh. Now, how that came about, what, what this looks like, and, you know, the, how this appears and so on, uh, we're sort of at a mystery with that as much as we are with the Apostle John with the book of Revelation that is also in a vision form. Okay? And, and we need to remind ourselves of that every once in a while. John doesn't go to heaven and see heaven. John sees a vision of heaven, a revelation in a vision of what heaven is like. Nahum sees a vision given to him by the Lord of that which is going to happen to Nineveh. That's the means of the revelation. His time. When does Nahum live? Well, he lives about 100, 125 years, somewhere in that ballpark after Jonah. Now, you remember Jonah, right? You remember this? Everybody remembers the story of Jonah. He's the guy who runs away. From what? From God's call to go to Nineveh, same city, same town, 125 years before Nahum's prophecy, and to tell it to repent that God was going to destroy it. But that if it repented, God might have mercy. Jonah didn't want to go. He gets on the boat, the whole big fish story, and so on. He finally goes. What does he do? He proclaims it. One wonders with what attitude he proclaimed it. But once again, the Lord uses his own word, repent, and the king repents. He even has the people repent. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They even put it on the animals. Maybe they were somewhat as... Jim and Mary were talking about uh, this morning the Ethiopians having that uh, uh, mean religion where they think even the souls of the animals. So maybe the king thinks, wouldn't hurt to have the, the cows repent too. They put sackcloth and the Lord comes to, Nate, comes to Jonah and says, I'm not going to destroy it. And Jonah gets all upset about it and so on because he knew that's what God would do. Now we're 125 years later. They repented, but now it's 125 years later. And there's no longer any repentance. They're back to the same old sins that they were involved in before. We can date it a little bit more precisely than that because in the book it mentions the fall of Thebes, uh, a city 
uh, of the Egyptians. And we know when that took place, which is, was about 660 B.C. But we also know that the city of Nineveh fell in 612 B.C. So somewhere between 660 and 610, just to use round numbers, somewhere in that 50-year span of time is when God raises up Nahum, gives to him a vision about Nineveh and its fall. This is the word of the Lord. His message is twofold. First of all, the message that Nahum brings is a message of judgment. It is a message of judgment. You can't miss it. Okay, you read through the three chapters. You, you heard the chapter. You, you heard our brother Doug pray. Okay, this is the judgment against Nineveh. This is the wrath of God being outpoured. Look at just verse 2. If just we had verse 2, we get it, right? We, we can grasp the book. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. That, in essence, is the theme of the book. God's judgment that is coming upon Nineveh. But there is a word in verse 1 I need to go back to. It says that this is an oracle concerning Nineveh. Now the word that we have translated here, oracle, has a couple of different meanings. And one meaning means the burden. In fact, I would imagine there are probably some of you, given the fact we have multiple translations, you're going, oracle? It doesn't say oracle, it says burden. That's probably, in a sense, that the more precise term. Oracle means that. But burden is really what is there. It is never easy to proclaim the wrath of God. We should never take delight in that. See, God is holy. In Psalm 2, it's the Lord laughs at them. Well, the Lord can do that because the Lord is holy. The Lord is pure. But we have to be very careful and not take joy and delight in announcing God's judgment and wrath. This is to be a burden to us. This is to be a weight. This is not to be fun. It's not to be pleasant. It's not to be a joy. Nahum isn't going, man, this is great. I get to proclaim the judgment of God upon Nineveh. No, the Lord is saying, no, 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 Nahum. You need to understand the seriousness of this judgment. That we can never take the judgment and wrath and anger of the Lord lightly. It is to be a burden. When we have to go to a family member, Say, you're without Christ. You know what that means? It means God's angry with you. 
God someday is going to pour out his judgment upon you. Chapter 1. This is no easy thing. Never clears the guilty. Mountains quake before him. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. That's a burden. We're talking with a coworker at work, and perhaps he's making fun and Christ, and we want so much to say, buddy, someday you're going to get yours, and boy, I can't wait to watch it. No, no. The judgment and wrath of God is a burden. Why? Why are we to take no delight in that? Well, one is because we're not holy like God is holy. We might be doing it from impure motives. We might be doing it from selfish motives. We might be doing it for personal vengeance motive. That person made my life miserable. Boy, I sure hope they enjoy hell. It's not to be our attitude. That, that's to be a burden. The fact that that person is going to face an eternity of damnation, of the wrath of God. But it's also there, as, as our brother Doug prayed, for us to be reminded of God's judgment on our sin. If we take light and treat lightly the judgment and condemnation of others, the likelihood is we will take our own judgment and condemnation lightly. We will think not much of that either. Oh, yeah, 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 I was a sinner going to go to hell. Yeah, but now I'm saved. That's a burden. Of who we were without Christ. The burden concerning Nineveh that Nahum has to bear and announce. He's not taking joy in the announcement of God's wrath. It's a weight that is upon him. But secondly, this message of judgment is just. This is not just God somehow having a hissy fit. This is not just God as we often do, blow our tempers. God has just cause to be angry, to be wrathful against Nineveh. We're given a hint of it a little bit okay, as we turn to chapter 1, verse 14. The Lord has given command about you. No more shall your name be perpetuated. From the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. Oh, they're idolaters. Yeah, the Assyrians were worshipers, particularly the city of Nineveh, where the temple of Ishtar was. The goddess, the queen of the gods. Now, I'll give you one of those little facts that's going to make you really uncomfortable. 
Ishtar is the basis of the English word Easter. Because the name Easter, the term Easter, is actually out of the name out of a pagan deity. And it's this deity. It is this deity that, that God is coming to the people of Nineveh, this Ishtar, and coming with his wrath and judgment. You worshipped her. You followed her. You followed her vile and evil practices. You went after her. You sought her. You built a temple for her. God comes in holy wrath, in just wrath against the people of Nineveh. But there is more. Turn with me as well later on to chapter 3, verse 1. Woe to the bloody city. Now why does, why does Nineveh speak or why does Nahum speak of Nineveh as a bloody city? Because the Assyrians were bloodthirsty people. They were not conquerors who were nice and polite. They were outright cruel. Skinning people alive was not outside of their way of dealing with conquered people. They were horrible. In terms of the bloodshed, in terms of the violence, in terms of the way they treated their fellow man. Outside, you see, of their relationship with God and their idolatry, the way in which they treated one another. There is no love of God and there is no love of neighbor. There was no love for anyone else. They were vicious in their conquering. God's holy, righteous anger is justified. But look what else. Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey. And then it describes them, the crack of the whip, the rumble of the wheel, the galloping horse, the bounding chariot. The Assyrians broke Treaty upon treaty upon treaty. They used guile to get people to surrender. And then once they surrendered, they just killed them anyway. They offered peace. And when the peace treaty was signed, they came with a sword. God is coming against Nineveh, the capital of this Assyrian Empire in his holy judgment. And there is a finality about it. You read through the book of, of Nahum and it's over and over and over again. There, there is no second chance here. There is no second rising. They had that. He came in Jonah. Jonah preached. They repented. But now they have gone back into their sin and God is saying, not again. Not again. It's not going to happen. Chapter 1, verse 8. Chapter 1, verse 9. Let, let's just use those as an example. Let's go to 1, verse 8. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries. A complete end. 
This is God saying. Now, I'm not going to spare anybody. I'm not going to spare anybody of Nineveh. I will make a complete end of it. Verse 9, why do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time. Over and over and over. I'd invite you in the next several days, read through the book of Nahum and just make a little mark or make a little note in your mind. Ah, that's what Pastor Bob meant. Finality. Now, while this is a picture of the city of Nineveh, this is also, is it not, a prophetic utterance about the end of the world. This is an utterance that is being given that will be fulfilled again. Not only will Nineveh fall, so will all those who are opposed to the Lord. So are all those who rise up in rebellion. There will be no second chance. You will not have life to live over again. You're not going to be reincarnated. We're not going to play this over again. Scene one, take two, it's not going to happen. This is it, folks. This is it. The nations of the world take warning. People of the world take warning. Individuals take warning. This is it. There is a finality of the judgment of God that will occur. You don't get a redo. You don't get a restart. This is it. Well, the question would be, what happened? He comes, he proclaims this judgment against Nineveh, God's wrath. He, he says it's going to be final. What took place? Well, I alluded to it to a few minutes ago. 612, Nineveh falls to one of its subsidiaries, I guess we could say, to Babylon along with a couple of other nations that join with Babylon in it. But it happens in a most unique way. You would say, how could anybody ever conquer that city? How could that ever take place? The spring rains were especially hard, long in the spring of 612 B.C. The Tigris River rose. And it washed out the foundation under the part of the wall of the city of Nineveh and created a breach, a hole in the wall. Part of the city was flooded so that the, the soldiers, as it were, were cut and divided. The Babylonians came in and slaughtered. The king, at that present time, knew that there had been a prophecy about an overwhelming flood and that this would bring down the city of Nineveh. He took all of his possessions. He took all of his concubines. He took all of his children. Tied them up and piled them in a heap. He himself went to the top of the heap. And they burned it. He ordered it burned. He said, it is better for me to die this way 
than to fall into the hands of the Babylonians. How complete? Archaeologists do not find one scrap of valuable metal in this city of great wealth. It has been laid bare. It's interesting that one of the things that Nahum prophesied is that the Lord would lift up their skirts and expose their nakedness. Yeah, there's nothing left. You know, we talk about the fall of Rome. There's still a Rome. We talk about the fall of Saigon. There's still a Saigon. You talk about the fall of Berlin. There's still a Berlin. But there is no Nineveh. It ceased to exist. It was wiped completely off the face of the earth. It's gone. The word of the Lord through Nahum the prophet came true. He is a true prophet of the Lord. But this is not only about the judgment of God. It is also an assurance. Let's go back into chapter 1. Four things are mentioned to us. In the midst of this judgment against Nineveh, listen to these words of comfort. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. See, this is also written at a time the northern kingdom of Israel is gone. It's been dispersed by the Assyrians. But the Assyrians are knocking at the door of Jerusalem. Here comes a prophecy. What's going to happen to this Assyrian nation and their capital, Nineveh? It's going to fall under the judgment of God. But what of us? What of us, Nahum? What of us who, who know the Lord? The Lord is good. In your day of trouble, the Lord is your stronghold. Think of that. Think of whatever trouble it is that you might face in life. That's your Nineveh. That's your Nineveh. Big, strong, bold, brash. Comes right into our face. It's a challenge to us. I'm going to unseat you. I'm going to destroy your faith. I'm going to destroy your God. I'm going to destroy your religion. I'm going to destroy your Christianity. We have voices like that sounding in our world today. Going to kill every single Christian there is. Those voices are out there. The Ninevehs of this world, the cancer, the heart problems, the family issues, the difficulties, the work, the economic problems, they're all there right in our face. Nineveh rises up. It's knocking at the door of our heart. And what does the Lord say? The Lord is good. The Lord is good to all who take refuge in him. He's the stronghold in the day of trouble. He's the one we run to. He's the one we flee to. The Lord is my tower and I run to it. And he knows those who put their faith and trust in him. The next time Nineveh raises 
its horrific head in your life. Remember these beautiful words of comfort in the book of Nahum. Secondly, look at the deliverance. Verse 13. And now I will break his yoke from off you and will burst your bonds apart. Who? Nineveh. Nineveh, though they are full of strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke from off you. The Lord promises us deliverance. The Lord promised to his people here, I will deliver you. Nineveh will go down. And so did Satan. And so did hell. And so did our sin. For the one came, the beloved son came. And he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is he who has burst. He, it is God, who has come and delivered us as his people. Go down with me to verse 15. It's a message of assurance, not only the Lord's goodness, not only the Lord's deliverance, but the Lord's good news. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news. Do you know what that good news was going to be? See, somebody was going to come with a message. Somebody in 612 ran with a message. They ran from Nineveh. They ran to Judah. They ran to the hills of Judah. A messenger announcing what? Nineveh has fallen. Nineveh has fallen. Nineveh has fallen. How oh, the feet of him who brings good news. The book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 52, this same verse is found. Isaiah places it in the coming of the Messiah. Behold on the mountains those who proclaim good news. Christ has come. Christ has been born. Good news. The deliverer. Paul in Romans chapter 10 verse 15 falling upon that understanding speaks as well as this is the good news that goes out to the world. That bonds are broken. That none of us fall. God will execute his wrath and judgment, but he will also deliver his people. Good news. You know what the good news is? Only Jesus saves. That's the good news. It's not just Jesus saves, it's that only Jesus saves. That's the good news, because that's the grace. God comes and delivers his people. Who brings good news? Who publishes peace?
Jesus Christ has come. He has destroyed our enemies. He has broken down the dividing wall of hostility even between ourselves and a holy, righteous God so that the words of judgment found in the book of Nahum will never be spoken to us because there is peace, because we've been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And God's people say, Amen. Father, how we thank you for the blessings, the blessings that you pour out to us in Christ. Even in the midst of a book full of judgment, we see, we hear Christ. Father, even as our brother prayed, if there is one here tonight who is without Christ, may your spirit touch that heart and life and draw them to the one who will indeed conquer the Ninevehs of their life as well. In Christ's holy name we pray, God's people say, Amen.